in a series called God Is, and the title of today's is God is Unhurried. He is unhurried. And so we're in this series, we're learning all kinds of things about who God is, and when we learn about who God is, it actually shows us how we can relate with him, how we can enter into relationship with him. And so today, what we're focusing on is just the fact that God is unhurried. And so I, this is a convicting message, and so full disclosure, I, I'm like a hurried person, okay? I find it very easy to be hurried, and our culture is very hurried and fast-paced. You notice that? Everything we do, it's like, it's fast-paced, right? I, like, if I want to put something in the microwave, you know how there's those things that are like seven minutes, and you're like, oh my goodness, seven minutes in the microwave? Like, what am I going to do with myself for seven minutes, right? <laughs> so, but if it's like a two-minute, you can do that, right? You can make yourself busy for two minutes, but anything beyond that, it's, it's challenging. Um, and this week was especially convicting, and I've talked about this before, but uh, my wife, Vicki, who's up here, she's usually down with the kids, but she's up here today. That's good. Um, she's really good at actually hearing what a child is saying, and I'm not necessarily so good at that. Uh, so it was like a week ago, um, and I'm getting ready for this message, and this is kind of in my mind and heart, but I was getting Henry, who's our little four-year-old, ready for bed. And so like, I was taking off his day clothes and putting on his night clothes. And so I, in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take them off, like, shirt and pants and put on, the, like, his diaper and then his, like, shirt and pants or whatever. And I was going to put his shirt on, and he was just losing it. Like, he was freaking out, and he was screaming and yelling, and I'm like, I was getting frustrated, and Vicky was, like, over on the uh, couch, and she's like, listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. And all he wanted was for his pajama pants to go on first and then his shirt. <laughs> but I wasn't hearing him because I was just like, hurrying to get him to bed. Like, in my mind, I'm like, we're going to, like, this is just, like, a routine that doesn't matter. Like, it, so it's just, like, I'm hurrying along, and Vicky's like, just listen. And so then I'm thinking about Jesus being unhurried, and I was thinking about how much we miss when we're hurried, right? And so if you have kids, maybe you've done that, or, or maybe you're a parent, and you're, like, judging me because you're like, I always hear my kids, like, <laughs> I don't know what is wrong with you. Why are you the pastor? So <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, I find it easy to be hurried, and for the hurry to be a distraction from some things that that can be really important. And in this story today, we're going to look at Mark. It's in Mark chapter 5, and you can turn there if you want. It'll be up on the screen um, in a minute. But we're going to look at this story, and and you've got to know a couple things about the gospel of Mark. Okay, so in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, they're the four gospels, and they all tell about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels. They're very similar. Uh, they tell a lot of the same stories. And so if you're reading through the Bible chronologically and you're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll read some of the same stories about Jesus. John is in a completely different category. Okay? He tells stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell. Um, he comes at it from a perspective that they don't come at it from. John was written much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I think when John came along to write his uh, his gospel account of Jesus, he wanted to tell some of the things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke hadn't covered. Mark, okay, this is what's going to be important for us today as we look at this story. The gospel of Mark, it was the first gospel that was written out of, out of all of them. Most scholars believe it was the earliest. And it's kind of like, I just want you to have this picture in your mind, okay? So Mark, he's got this in his mind to tell the story, and this is how Mark jumps into the story. He's like, Okay, that's kind of, so that's, I want that picture in your mind. 
that's what Mark is like. Mark is super fast-paced, okay? So Matthew and Luke, they tell a lot about the beginning of Jesus' life, his, his birth, uh, some of the things that happened when he was young, and they get into that part of the story. Mark, if, you, if you're somebody who's like picking things up as you read and you're watching the flow, you'll notice Mark jumps in and he's like, he's rushing. He's got a message to tell and he's jumping in. He's wasting no time. He is going for it, okay? So you've got to know that about Mark. In, in uh, the story we're going to look at today, okay, so that image that I gave you, okay, of, of like, okay, Mark starts and it's just this jump and this run. He goes for it right away. When you get to the story we're going to look at, it's like the run is happening, and then it goes, it just slows down, okay? So if, you're, if you read the narrative a little bit, you'll notice that this story in particular, when you get there in the narrative, it's like it goes, it slows down, okay? It's um, this, this story in particular, and it's the story of uh, Jairus and the bleeding woman, and it's the longest, most detailed uh, one of the longest and most detailed healing stories in the Gospel of Mark. And it's also significant, so we're going to meet someone in the story today whose name is Jairus. And Mark, as a Gospel, there's very few people that he actually names in his Gospel account. He names Herod, he names Pilate, um, he names a guy at the end of the Gospel, his name is Simon, who carries Jesus cross, and, and apparently Simon is the father of, of two people named Rufus and Alexandra. So there's a few people in the Gospel of Mark that get named. And one of the reasons, you've got to remember, when you're reading the Scriptures, so if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been reading the Bible for a long time, maybe you don't think about it as a historical document. But these are actually historical documents. And so sometimes when names are given, it's, it's a way of citing a source. So Mark is saying, so when he names this guy Jairus, Jairus was a well-known person at the time of Jesus' life and ministry. And so when Mark is writing his historical account of Jesus' life, this, so that's a really important part of the Christian faith. This is not, the Christian faith isn't just something that you know, we feel or we, we just believe because of you know, how we were raised or, or whatever. Like That kind of plays into it. But it, it's an event that took place. The life of Jesus happened in real time. And Mark, when he writes his account, he puts certain names in there as like, like he's citing a source, like he's saying, hey, if you don't believe me, go ask this guy or go ask his family. They're still around. Okay? So when you see a name uh, in one of the gospel accounts, it's always really important. And then I also want you to notice in this story, Jesus, so this woman that he meets, and we're going to look at her a little bit more in depth, she's, she's nameless. She doesn't have anybody to advocate for her. She would have been considered unimportant in the day that Jesus lived in. And Jesus calls her daughter. It's the only time in the whole Gospel of Mark that Jesus uses family language with somebody. Jesus would have been like 30 to 32 years old at this time. So this woman was probably older than him. And the woman that he meets, who's considered unimportant, would have been overlooked, would have been ostracized from society, he calls her daughter. And it's an indication that he's her father. He's creator. It's a powerful word in the middle of the story. So I just want you to keep an eye for that as we read it and, uh, and, and just listen for what the Lord uh, might be saying to you. And so I'm just going to pray before we read, and then we'll read this, this story, and you can follow along on the screen. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for how you speak to us 
through your word, and you reveal to us what you're like. And, and today we're looking at just this reality that you are unhurried. You are not in a rush. You, you do act quickly at times, and you, are, you can act with precision uh, even in a fast-paced situation, but you're unhurried because you're in control of the situation. And I just pray that as we read this story that we would hear you speaking to us um, both individually but then collectively as a, as a group of people that want to follow you and follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. So it's Jesus, Jairus, and the bleeding woman. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And just uh, notice that it says that this woman falls at Jesus' feet and she tells him the whole truth. She had been sick for 12 years, was ostracized from society. Uh, between this and some of the other gospels, we know she spent all of her money trying, like paying physicians to heal her, and there was no cure. So she falls at Jesus' feet, and you've got to remember, in some ways, Jesus is in a rush because he's trying to get to Jairus' house to heal his sick little girl. And there's a whole crowd of people, and they're all waiting in anticipation. Is Jesus going to be able to heal Jairus' daughter? Jairus is this important person at this time, very important, highly regarded by people, and so they're on their way there, and this woman touches him, and Jesus turns around, and not only does he listen to her request and heal her, it says that he listened to her tell him the whole truth. How long would that have taken? You've got this whole crowd of people, and I just imagine Jesus getting down and being at eye level with this woman, and he listens to her tell him the whole truth, while this very important person who's highly regarded by all of the people is, is waiting on Jesus to come. And so you've got this crowd, and you can almost feel the tension, and Jesus just slows down. He's unhurried, and he takes time to respond to this woman who would have been overlooked by most people. And, and, and to listen to her tell the whole truth about her situation, that could have taken a long time. And, and the text indicates that it took too long in some people's minds. So we'll continue. In verse 34 it says, And he said to her, Daughter, so after listening to her, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. 
Why trouble the teacher any further? So Jesus has taken so long interacting with this woman that Jairus' daughter, this important man who's held in high regard by the people, his daughter dies. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. Notice the similarities too. This little girl's 12 years, and the woman who Jesus has just healed had been sick for 12 years. Okay, so there's, this is on purpose. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus, in this story, what we learn about him and about God, Jesus is, is God. The scriptures tell us in Colossians that Jesus is the exact representation of God. So what we see in him, we see in God. He is unhurried. So normally when this passage is preached... The, the faith of the woman is emphasized. I've preached on this passage before, and it's, it's remarkable that this woman who wouldn't have been welcome in the crowd, okay? So according to the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament, she was not allowed to go and be around crowds of people or anybody for that matter because she had this, this flow of blood that made her unclean. And so in Jewish tradition, it would have been wrong for her to be around people. So this woman, it's like she's undeterred, and she sees Jesus... And she comes and she breaks through the crowd and she goes, if I could just touch Jesus, then I'll be healed. So she does. And it's one of the weirdest miracles that we have in the New Testament because Jesus doesn't turn and, and, and do what he usually does when he heals somebody and makes a decision to heal them or to, to, to speak a healing into them. Like, that she's healed because she just reaches out and touches his garment in faith. It is, it's remarkable. Like, it's this incredible story of faith. And that's usually what's emphasized um, in this passage. And, and I've preached on it, and that's, that's usually what I emphasize, and that is in there. Like, the, the fact that she had the faith to go and pursue Jesus and break through the crowd is, is significant, and it's remarkable. Um, Augustine said, and this will be on the screen, he said, few are they who by faith touch him. Multitudes are they who throng about him. Few are they who by faith touch him. Multitudes are they who throng about him. And so usually when this passage is preached, that's what's emphasized. And I, and I want to make sure that you're at least aware of that and you think about the truth in that. Like, you've got this multitude of people around Jesus, and most of them are just there for the show, right? Because is he going to heal? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Is he going to embarrass the Pharisees again? Or is he going to cast a demon out of somebody? Is he going to heal somebody? They're all kind of there. They're thronging about Jesus. So there's multitudes of people that are thronging about him, but you've got this one woman who breaks through the crowd in faith and touches Jesus, and she's just miraculously healed. It's, it's incredibly significant. But you know what's, what? This week, and there's, there's a lot that happened this week as I studied this passage of Scripture. Uh, I just, like, the Lord changed the message. I had a certain direction I was going to go, and that, that changed. And um, I've been in conversation all week with uh, my New Testament professor from back in school who's he, he, uh, he shared something about this passage, 
I don't know, eight years ago in class, and it just impacted me deeply. And we've been talking all week, uh, and it's been really incredible, the conversations we've had. And, and what's come out of this is just this week, what I'm seeing in this, in this story is just how unhurried God is. He is so unhurried. And because of that, he sees something that most people and probably most of us would have missed. He's unhurried. Jesus is actually en route to another task when this woman breaks through the crowd. And he could have ignored it. He could have kept going. He didn't even have to acknowledge what had just happened. But he stops and he acknowledges it. And there's this incredible story in Scripture because of it. And as we dive into this, I just want to ask you to even think about your own life. What are some of the things, maybe, that you miss because of hurry? You know, we see in Jesus this example of being unhurried. And because he's unhurried, because he's in control of the situation, because he knows his Father and he knows his Father's will, he's able to go through life without being hurried. And one of the questions I think we need to ask ourselves as we look at this story is, what, what, are, what are some of the things that we have a tendency to be hurried about that cause us to miss other things? You think about even some of the situations in life that come at you as a distraction. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship. Maybe it's somebody cutting you off in traffic. Maybe Who knows? There's all these things that come at us and they're distractions and they get us wound up and we're frustrated because we're in a hurry and we've got other things on our mind. And maybe there's an opportunity going on that we miss because of our tendency to hurry. God is unhurried. And because of that, he has this incredible interaction with this woman. And so this story that we're looking at, it's actually a part of a longer story. And so the next slide, Andrew, in, uh, back in, in chapter 4, verse 41, Mark is answering, and I want you to see this, because this, this, is, this is incredible how Mark tells this story. Okay, so you've got to remember the, the gospel writer, Mark, he's an evangelist. And the reason he wrote the gospel of Mark is because he wants everybody to know who Jesus is. That's his desire. So when you go into the, the gospel stories and you read this, you've you got to realize, like, th- this guy, he's, he's an author that put these stories together in the order he put them in on purpose. He told certain stories and he left others out on purpose, and he's got a message he wants to get across. The main one in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the message is all about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, why he did that, and, and why his death matters why his resurrection matters, and how that gives us an opportunity to have a relationship with God. But within the story, there's actually other questions that are, uh, that are trying to be answered. And one of them, in verse uh, 41, it's, it says, well, I'll read the whole verse because I only have part of it on here. It says, And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So on the next slide, uh, you'll see this, this story that we're looking at right now is a part of a bigger story, okay? And there's four miracle stories that happen all right after this question. And Mark is wanting to answer the question of, who is this man? So the disciples say, who is this, who is this Jesus that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so um, he asks that question after Jesus calms the storm. And so if you've, if you've read through Mark or if you know any of the stories of Jesus, he famously, he's on a boat uh, going across the Sea of Galilee, and there's this crazy storm, and Jesus gets up. He's totally at peace. He's unhurried, and he says, calm. Everybody else around him is rushed. Everything's happening really fast, and Jesus, totally peaceful, says, 
peace be still. He calms the storm. And his disciples asked the question that all of us, if we were there in the room, would have asked. We said, like, who is this man? How, how does he talk to the sea and the sea listens? Okay, and so this little section that we're in is, is answering that question. And, and what Mark does in the four stories is that he shows that Jesus is Lord over nature, the wind and the waves. He's Lord over demons. He heals this crazy demoniac guy who comes and attacks him and he's naked and this, this whole thing, okay? There's like this whole episode that happens. And Mark is showing he's also Lord over demons. And then he shows that he's Lord over illness. So that's the interaction we're going to look at today. And then he shows that he's Lord over death. He heals Jairus' daughter. Okay? And so this story is a part of a larger section in the book of Mark where Mark is wanting to answer the question, who is this Jesus? He is Lord over all of these things. And the story we're looking at is, is the last two where it's illness and death. And, and it's intentional. And, um, and so in the, since Mark started... It starts out, like I was saying, like it's this run. It's this fast-paced narrative. And Jesus is baptized. He calls his disciples. He casts out demons. He heals crowds of people. He preaches powerfully. Crowds beg him to stay. He cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic. He calls more disciples. He preaches the kingdom. He casts out a demon. He calms the sea. And then all of a sudden, we're at the story that, that we're at right now with Jesus' interaction with Jairus. And so Jairus... Okay, so all of these things have, have happened, and, and Jesus' ministry is, is taking off really fast, and Mark is getting into it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is, is building, and what Mark is doing is he's building the tension of who Jesus is, and then Jesus interacts with this guy named Jairus in the story. And Jairus, all we know about him isn't a whole lot. We know that he's a synagogue leader. We know that he's a significant person because Mark names him, so he was known uh, he's somebody that would have been held in high regard by the people of the day. And so I was, I was thinking about um, you know, what would that mean, what would that look like in our context? Uh, and, you know, pastors today or temple leaders, they're not usually held in high regard, okay? <laughs> I'll just tell you. Like, in ancient Israel, when a temple leader came into the room, they were held in high regard. They were respected because they served the people and the whole... Uh, group of people in that day would have respected the temple and what it meant to go to the temple and those kinds of things, and Jairus was respected. It's kind of different today. Pastors are not seen that way. Um, but this week, I don't know if you saw the story, Melody and the people from Grace Place were featured in CBC. So there was an article, I think Tuesday or Wednesday came out. Yeah. Um, and Grace Place, uh, and most of you here know about Grace Place. They're an incredible ministry in our city. They help people that need a place to stay, that don't have a lot of food. And uh, Melody was actually featured in, uh, in the CBC news article and also a video this week. And I was just thinking, um, I was like thinking about a comparison for Jairus. And, and Jairus was somebody kind of like Melody and Gary that just served their community. They served their people. And when I talked to Melody about CBC, she's like, oh yeah, they've been chasing me. Like, Gary and Melody, they, they don't always love all of the attention being on them, like anybody who serves, right? But, but what they're doing is a service to the city, and it's, it's recognized, right? So when people talk about Grace Place and all of the other volunteers, there's lots of people that work and, and make Grace Place a possibility, but it's seen as a service to our community, right? And so you imagine somebody like, like that, Okay, it's kind of comparable to Jairus. He was somebody that was known to the community. He was known to the people. He was a, he was a good person. He liked to help. Okay, and he comes to Jesus and, and he has this request because his daughter is sick. And, and he comes and he, he requests for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. 
And you can see, and, and in the narrative, the way that the story is being told, you can actually sense that there's anticipation amongst the people that are there. Like, is Jesus going to be able to help Jairus? Jairus has helped all these people. He's, he's given his life in service. He's a, he's a synagogue leader. He's a temple leader. He's this important person. Like, is Jesus going to be able to help him? Right? And it'd be similar. Like, if it was, if it was Gary and Melody that, that's known for doing, you know, some of the things in the community that, that they're known for, if they come with this request, there's this anticipation. And so Jesus agrees, and he goes along to go, to go with Jairus. But then his interruption is significant. And I want to just compare... Um, Jairus and this, and this woman. And we're going to put a, a slide up here. And so the, the interesting thing about Jairus is that he's actually, he's a good person in the story. He's not, he's not a villain. He's not, he's not an enemy. But he's somebody who's known. And he's an important person with a name. He gets named in the text. He's an influential person. He's held in high esteem. People advocate for him. He's got this 12-year-old daughter that's sick. But then you've got this bleeding woman who, in the Gospel of Mark, she doesn't even get a name. Nobody knows her name. She's an outcast. If you read Leviticus 15, her condition would have meant she's not allowed to be around crowds of people. She's overlooked. She's got no one to advocate for her. And she's been suffering for 12 years. And the response of Jesus with this woman is incredible. Dr. Smith, this guy that I was uh, telling you about, he, he said this, he said, as Mark blends these stories, being male, pure, and wealthy is no advantage over being female, unclean, and destitute. In the kingdom of God, faith enables all to meet with Jesus with equity. So this woman, it's so significant. You've got Jairus, Who's a, who's a respected person in the community, he was probably in favor of her being helped. That's, that seems like the kind of person that, that he was. But he's, he's advocating for his daughter who's been sick for 12 years. And all of a sudden, you've got this woman who's nameless, who's got no one to advocate for her, and she breaks through the crowd, and Jesus is unhurried, and he looks at her, and he calls her daughter. And, and the parallel here, what's significant is you've got Jairus, his daughter, who's 12, has a father who loves her. He's also got a supportive community that is appreciative of the things that he's doing. He's, he's got all these things. And then you've got this woman who, who's nameless, who, who would have been an irritation to a lot of people for her to be around for her to be breaking through the crowd the way that she was. She would have been this bother to people. And, and, and I just, I have this image of, of Jesus, and so there's this crowd of people, and I just have this image because I imagine that when she reached out to touch his garment, she fell to her knees to, to grab the bottom of his garment, the tassels that would have been hanging there. And so I have this image of Jesus kneeling and getting on eye level with her and just calling her daughter. And what's powerful about that is that she would have had no one to call her daughter. She would have had no one that was a father figure in her life. And so you've got Jesus who's also answering the question that Mark is trying to answer. Who is this man? And in this interaction, Jesus is saying, I'm the creator. Like, 
I'm your father. I see you. Like, it's such a powerful story. If you've ever been somebody who's felt overlooked, if you've ever been somebody who you feel like other people are often seen before you are, or maybe your problems get ignored, or maybe you're, you're cast, cast aside, like, this story speaks volumes because Jesus, he, he's unhurried. He sees this woman's need, but it's a deeper need than even healing because Jesus, he could have just healed her, and that would have been incredible. He could have, which he did. He, he heals her of this issue that's been causing her to bleed for 12 years. But further than that, you know what I think he does in this passage that's even more profound than healing her of her physical condition? Is he, when he calls her daughter, he's restoring her to relationship with her creator. Like he's actually, in that moment, he's, he's using identity language. Because she would have spent those 12 years feeling ostracized, rejected, out of place, overlooked. And this interaction with Jesus, not only does he touch her and physically heal her, he says, daughter, the creator of the universe, the God who made everything, the, the one that Mark is pointing out saying he's Lord over nature, he is Lord over demon and evil, he is Lord over illness, he is Lord over death, that one, he looks this woman in the eyes and says, daughter. And so she's physically healed but in that moment, she's restored to relationship with God. And she's actually given, if you're, if you're tracking with the story and what Mark is communicating, it's like her identity is restored. Her sense of purpose, her sense of belonging, her sense of being loved is restored. All because Jesus is unhurried. All because Jesus recognizes what's happening in that moment. So we're going to do something different with this story. I don't want to spend any more time with interpreting it. I'm going to invite the team to come back up. And they're going to play softly. And I just want to invite you to to enter the story. And this this might be, and I referenced this at the beginning, when Kaya prayed that we would experience the Scripture in a different way today. um, We're going to do this a little bit differently than we've done. And I want to encourage you to enter this story together and to listen to what Jesus is saying to you. And so... The band's going to play softly, and I'm going to read, uh, and there, there is going to be words on the screen if you want to follow it. Um, you can do that. But I also, I just want to invite you to close your eyes as we read, not yet, um, but to, to close your eyes and listen to this story in a different way than maybe you've listened to Scripture being read before, and, and to enter into this story. Because Jesus' interaction here, it's It's powerful. It's, it's, it's a profound word that he speaks to this woman, but what Jesus does in this story speaks to everybody involved. Like, there are so many people around. There's the disciples, and there's the crowd, and there's Jairus, and there's all the people with him, and then there's the woman who's got this issue, right? There's all of these different people that are in this story, and Jesus' interaction in this story and the fact that he's unhurried, it, has, it, it speaks to everybody involved. And so... Uh, what I'm going to invite you to do, you can just play, play softly. And I just want you to, if, if you can keep your eyes open and read along with me if you want. Um, but if you're willing, I just want to invite you to close your eyes. And as your eyes are closed, I want you to imagine that you're there in this story. And as you're imagining with your, with your eyes closed and you're, you're inserting yourself in the story, I want you to just uh, notice what sounds do you hear 
Do you hear the water splashing up against the side of the boat as Jesus gets out? Who do you see in the crowd? What are the smells that fill the air as Jesus gets off the fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee? Take note of the names that are mentioned in the story. Notice the flow of the narrative, how Jesus responds to Jairus immediately, but then stops what he's doing to respond to an unnamed woman. So enter the story. Picture yourself there as we read it. Jesus got into the boat and again went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came, fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Now just Just stay immersed in this story, and I'm going to read it one more time, but this time I want you to do something a little bit different. I want you to insert yourself in the story. Who in the story do you relate with? If you were there, who would you be, and what would you be feeling? Are you one of Jesus' disciples, impressed that the famous Jairus is asking Jesus for a favor? Are you Jairus, with a sick child, begging Jesus to heal her? Are you one of the crowd, watching to see what Jesus will do next? maybe irritated that this woman is disrupting the action? Are you one of the crowd that laughs when Jesus says that the girl is not dead but only sleeping? Or maybe you're intrigued to see Jesus taking time to respond to somebody who's normally overlooked. Are you the woman, the outcast, the forgotten, the overlooked, the one with the problem who has mustered enough courage to go and touch Jesus? As you listen, immerse yourself in the story. Ask yourself who who it is that you are 
and what Jesus, the creator, is saying to you. Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of a terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. And so we're just going to spend a few moments just just worshiping. And I just want to invite you in this state of just listening to God. Maybe he's spoken to you from the text. Maybe you relate with one of the people that's in this story. And maybe today you've heard his voice. Maybe you've heard him speak into your situation. Maybe you've heard him speak words of of comfort. Maybe words of identity like he did with this woman, daughter. And so as we sing these last few songs together, I just encourage you to um, remain in this attitude of just listening to God, singing your praises to him, and engaging with him.